so good to be together, so good to be hearing all that God's already speaking to us. Uh, I'm so encouraged by what we've heard, what we've sung, uh, what Liam just brought right at the end there. Thank you so much for that, Liam. Today, I want to take us to the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. It's interesting, last night, many of us may have been watching, many of you may have been watching, big events in New York. There we are. And of course, the memory of some other huge events in New York 20 years ago. So remembering the horrendous moments when seeing planes flown into skyscrapers 20 years ago. And then on that day, same day, 20 years later, in New York again, two teenagers who weren't born when the planes flew into the, the skyscrapers served up, served up, E. In this incredible tennis match, and with all sorts of history being made of the first qualifier to win a Grand Slam and the, the two t- first time two teenagers are playing together in a Grand Slam and since 1999, I think, or the US Open, anyway. I might get my statistics mixed up. But anyway, these massive pieces of news. We could hardly, you could imagine that we could have conversations where you go, well, have, we, have you heard the news? And you go, what news? Have you been... Have you had the TV off? Have you not been looking at anything? Have you not scrolled on social media at all? Both about the tennis last night, and even more so 20 years ago, about those events that happened. Well, we come to a bigger event in Luke 24, and a similar kind of conversation. Well, that's the way it starts anyway. In Luke 24, we see Jesus has died. Good Friday has passed. Saturday has come and gone. Disciples are fearful. They're distraught. They're confused. We're kind of a good way on through Sunday, and they've heard some interesting reports. They don't really know what to make of them. But these two disciples, they're heading from Jerusalem. They're walking the seven miles to the village of Emmaus. And they meet Jesus on the road. But they don't know that. They don't recognize him. Then they have this slightly comical to start with conversation. Starting in Luke 24 and verse 17. He asked them, this is Jesus, who they can't recognize, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here, there in these days? Well, what things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. 
They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they didn't see Jesus. They start this conversation with Jesus on the road about Jesus and the fact that he's died and the fact that they're confused and they don't know what's going on. We see these two disciples, dejected, disappointed, fearful, discussing and remembering together. And here Jesus breaks in, what are you talking about? They tell him, we're talking about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. When Philip and Nathaniel have been called, Philip goes and gets Nathaniel. Back in John chapter 1 and 40, verse 45, he, he says to Nathaniel, We have found the one, Moses and all the people. I'll read the right bit. We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We found the one. This is the one. He's the one who's come, but now they're disappointed. They're confused. They're dejected. What's gone wrong? And see, this morning I want to take us... We're going to go on the journey. We're going to go on my wildly inferior journey to the one that Jesus would have taken them through the Old Testament. I can say that with great confidence in the fact that that was Jesus doing it. So don't be disappointed that mine will be inferior, but we're going to go for it and God's going to be speaking all the same. Because they're disappointed and fearful. Why? Their gaze is just off. Their gaze is just missing the truth. They see it, but it's cloudy. They've seen something. We, think, we thought this was the one. He was the one. He had come. He was a prophet, great and powerful indeed, before all the people, but we thought he was the one. And what they seem to be saying is, well, he can't be, can he? I was intrigued looking at the screen just now while we were worshipping. I just thought, oh, it's a bit fuzzy. The point of, point of uh, contention and conversation all the time on staff about our screen and the, the rigged up system of mirrors that get the stuff onto the screen. So I wandered around and I looked at that screen. If you have every opportunity to sit on that side, you guys, you have the screen that is just beautiful. Look, walk around there and suddenly you see with clarity. You can see everything. You can actually see the strings on Tom's guitar. So much more. You just see. Picture that looked kind of, I can just about see what it is, but no. They need their eyes sharpening. They need clarity to come. They need to see the truth. Who is Jesus really? Why did he have to suffer? And of course, ultimately, they also had to see he's alive. So Jesus says to them, we're going to go on this journey. Jesus says to them in verse 25, 
He said to them, doesn't hold back, Jesus here. How foolish you are. How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then this incredible verse. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. That's where we're going. They needed to see. They needed to see more clearly who is he? Who is this one who we say we follow? Who is this one who we say has saved us and rescued us and we're following? Because it's true for us too, our gaze can be off. Our understanding of who Jesus is, what he has done, and therefore who we are, can just drift off. This morning I long for us to fix our eyes afresh on who Jesus really is and what he has really done. See, they don't know it's him yet, but Jesus is about to show them the real truth. And it's bigger, it's better, it's more life-changing than what they've just stated. What they've just described, they've said... Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people, and we hoped he was the one. Jesus is about to show them, lift your eyes a bit higher. Lift your eyes a bit higher. Because beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I don't think we can quite imagine what that journey was like, but let's try. You see, perhaps Jesus would have taken them to some familiar passages. Perhaps right back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis. God's made everything. Adam and Eve are there in the perfect garden. They are relating with God. And yet they hear the snake. And they listen to the snake. And they've eaten the fruit Now they're ashamed and they're scared and they're hiding in the darkness, in the shadows. In Genesis 3, God comes to them and speaks to them and also to the snake. And in Genesis 3.15, he says to the snake, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your heads and you will strike his heel. Perhaps Cleopas and his friends were thinking, yeah, yeah, that's what we were looking for, the one who would come, the offspring of Eve, who would win against the snake, the snake crusher. Jesus might have taken them on to Deuteronomy. Moses laying out the law he's received from God before the people right in the midst of it all. You see all this law being laid down, everything Moses received from God. In Deuteronomy 18, 15, Moses says this, Remember, the Lord, your God, will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Cleopas and his friends, yeah, a prophet like Moses. That's what we thought. A prophet like Moses would come. Jesus would go on maybe to Isaiah and to Ezekiel. In Isaiah 11, perhaps. Wonderful picture that that God gives to Isaiah. Isaiah 11 verse 1, a shoot 
will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might. The spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. One's coming. Out from David's line, Jesse, David's father, from the stump, from this family that, oh, it's all gone wrong. No, one's coming. Or as Ezekiel says in Ezekiel 34, 23, I'll place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. And you can imagine these two followers walking along. If they got a word in Edgeway, I don't know. Saying, yes, yes. From, from David's family, a shepherd over his people. One who's going to lead the way. One who's going to look after us. Yes. Maybe he would have added words from the prophets Micah and Malachi. Given a bit more detail in Micah 5 and verse 2. Words we're very familiar with at Christmas. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you're small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Or Malachi 3 verse 1, I'll send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you're seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Yes, yes, yes. We hope that Jesus was this one. Born in Bethlehem from David's family, a prophet, God's messenger, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. He'd hoped he was the one who would redeem us. So many words and pictures pointing towards this one coming. Jesus is coming. But surely Jesus would have said more. Perhaps he took them elsewhere, maybe back to the book of Isaiah. Who really is this one? who you were looking for? Who is this Messiah you were looking for and longing for? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Once again, Christmas verses, but so huge. But to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Yeah, mighty king on David's throne. That's what we were waiting for. This great prophet would redeem Israel. What are these words describing? Not just a prophet. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting father. Prince of peace. Do you see? It's bigger. It's better. It's greater. Isaiah 7 and verse 14. 
Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. God with us. Perhaps as Jesus was explaining, taking them through, do you see? Do you see this one, the Messiah, the Redeemer of Israel? Is he just a prophet, powerful in word and deed? This is God with us. The one who was coming would be God with us. Yes, come to earth, born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, but God become man. Perhaps you start to broaden their understanding. Look, look, do you see what he came to do? Don't you remember what Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 36, verses 25 and 26? What was the purpose? I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Jesus was explaining, do you see, my friends? It's bigger and better. God with us. God coming down as a man, not just conquering human armies, but changing hearts, transforming lives, changing, turning us back to God. It's bigger. It's better. Do you see? But he must also have taken them further in Isaiah. What did he say to them? How slow of heart you are to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Isaiah chapter 53. This one... What would he do? What would happen? Isaiah 53 verse 1, Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before, them like a, before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Do you see? 
the prophet like Moses, the messenger, the shepherd from David's line, the great one, the snake crusher, the ruler from Bethlehem is also the suffering servant. The one who would be badly treated, beaten, punished, led away like a lamb to be killed and buried in a rich man's tomb. But this was the plan. This was the plan. This wasn't it all going wrong. Isaiah continues, verse 10, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. This was the plan. This was the whole plan. This was what it was about. And don't you see, this is what's been worked out before your eyes. God's plan to redeem, to rescue his people, not from Rome, but far more spectacularly from sin. Not by, in that sense, a mighty leader, a prophet, a ruler leading the charge, but the Son of God himself becoming a man and dying for the sins of the world. See, this is what Moses and all the prophets have declared this is what it's all been leading to. You see, perhaps Jesus also led them through not just specific prophecies, but their history. He refers to Moses and all the prophets, the whole Old Testament. Do you remember, guys? Abraham had received Isaac. Isaac knew this new son, the promised one, had been given. God said, take him up the mountain and sacrifice him. Abraham and Isaac going up together. Isaac's carrying the wood. Abraham's got the fire with him. And Isaac asked that question, Father, we've got the wood and the fire, but where's the sacrifice? Abraham's incredible words, God himself will provide the sacrifice, my son. And right up to the moment of Abraham laying Isaac on the wood and Isaac laying down before him and Abraham's about to sacrifice him. Stop, Abraham. And he sees in the thicket a ram. Don't you see the ram points to me? Don't you see the ram took Isaac's place? Perhaps he could have taken them to the Exodus to the Passover. The Israelites have been enslaved in Egypt for so long and God sends plagues through. Moses goes to Pharaoh and the plagues come and everything's, but Pharaoh says, no, 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 you're not going anywhere. And God sends this last plague. And the firstborn of each family is going to die. But God says to the Israelites, take a lamb and kill it. Put the blood over the door. And I'll accept the lamb in place of your firstborn. Don't you see the lamb was pointing to me? 
As they came out of Egypt, they've gone through the Red Sea, they're going through the wilderness, and Moses is up the mountain with God, and Moses wants to see God's glory. In Exodus chapter 33, God said, you can't see me. No man can see me and live, so I'll hide you in this rock. And I'll pass by and you can see my back. Moses ends up in this cleft of the rock. Don't you see that the rock points to me? In me, you can see God. In me, you can come to him. And another time, the people grumbled and God sent snakes among them. Perhaps Jesus, like he had done with Nicodemus, took them back to that story. Did you see the snakes were there? They were killing them and they're crying out for help. And God says to Moses, make a snake out of bronze and put it on a pole. And if they look at the snake of bronze, they'll live. Don't you see that the snake of bronze points to me, hung on a pole to take their place? You could have looked through the entire Old Testament. Look at the temple and the tabernacle and the priestly system and all the sacrifices. And don't you see that the curtain and the priest and the sacrifice, they all point to me. That one day, no longer in some earthly building with a bit at the front that was more special than the bit at the back, you came through a physical curtain, but no, I was going to go myself and take myself into the Holy of Holies in heaven and offer myself once and for all for you. It all points to me. All the way through. All of Bible history has been pointing to and declaring this that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would come and die for the sins of the world. The prophet like Moses, the shepherd from David's line, the ruler from Bethlehem, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace, who they'd been waiting for was also the suffering servant, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And as he explained, maybe... Could they be starting to understand? Don't you see this is what's happened? What a road trip. As Jesus reveals to them, look, this is the one you've been waiting for. This is what the scriptures have been shouting that he would come and do. It hasn't gone wrong. It's just bigger, better, more glorious, more life-changing than you ever realized. Or could even imagine. Jesus wraps up in a few words. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? You see, their eyes still aren't quite open. As we go through to the end of Luke 24. They come to the end of their journey. Verse 28, they approached the village to which they were going. Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day's almost over. Come in with us. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread and gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened. 
then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning on the road while he talked to us and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem and there they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them, was recognized by them when he broke the bread. You see, they don't quite see it till journey's end. They get to Emmaus. Jesus reveals himself to them as he breaks the bread and everything changes. This one has come. He's come to do exactly what he came to do. And he's alive and he's risen again. And he is magnificent. See, immediately for them, their fearful plod to Emmaus, dejected, disappointed, is replaced by a joyful charge back to Jerusalem. Because they've seen the glorious truth. Who is this Jesus? You see, they begin the walk thinking, well, he was a great prophet, but now he's dead. We thought he was a great leader to restore a nation. But Jesus the Messiah is not just a great leader to restore a nation, not a leader with a brilliant written code of rules to follow in our own strength. See, Christianity in no ways says, do this and this and this, and then you will be okay. Follow the rules and you'll be accepted. See, any sense of that which exists needs to go. No, as Jesus shows them on the road, this is who I am. I'm the son of God who became a man to die for you. Where you couldn't do it, I have done it. Where you deserve death, I've taken your death. Where you couldn't be good enough, I am perfect. This is who I am and this is what I've done. There's nothing you can do to be acceptable to God. Nothing you can do to earn forgiveness. So I did it. That's what the law and the prophet, that's what Moses and all the prophets have pointed to. All the way through. So that we can declare like Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. These wonderful words. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. 
This is the glorious truth. This is who Jesus is. This is what he has done. This is what he has made a way for. Christianity doesn't say, do this, do that. Keep working harder. Keep trying harder. Keep trying hard to be good. My Christianity says, you can do nothing except that you are lost and sinful and on your own merit, you are totally unacceptable to God. Come repent and accept what Jesus, the Son of God who became a man, has done on your behalf. The call to the men on the road and the call to us today is come and encounter the risen Saviour. Come and see Jesus. Come and recognize he's the one who came and died on a cross. He's alive. He rose again. He's alive and he's seated in glory. And recognize what a gift. What grace. This is bigger. This is better. This changes everything. This is who Jesus is and this is what he's done. So who are we? Are we, as City Church Sheffield, members of some lovely organisation with a code of conduct and a set of rules and a kind of way of doing things that's kind of nice and we can go along with it? Are we a support group that primarily that kind of looks after one another? Are we kind of club with some shared interests? And primarily, we are the family of God. We're the people of God who are people who have come, who are together in the same room because we have seen the risen Savior. We've recognized that he's the one who went to the cross and died and rose again. We can do nothing, but he's done it all. With those who've encountered and submitted to the risen Christ. So as we close, I just want to ask one question. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Do you know this Jesus? This Jesus that he explained to the people on the road? Have you met him? Do you know him? If yes, then let's keep doing what the writer to the Hebrews encourages us to do. This is how we live our lives. This is what means we do anything. This is why we will serve the poor. This is why we will take the gospel to our neighbours. This is why we will support one another. Because we're going to run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Why? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. If you know him, fix your eyes on him and keep following him. Today, if you don't know him, come. Come today. He is speaking to you. He's speaking to you like he spoke to those men on the road. He's revealing himself. The fact that he's real. The fact that he is the answer. 
The fact that he has paid the price for everything you have ever done or thought or your entire rebellion against God. Any thought that you've ever had that actually I know what I'm doing and I can live my life the right way in my own merit. Come to him today and accept him. Submit to him. Repent and say, Jesus, it's you. You're the answer. Because it's bigger and it's better and it changes everything. I pray it would change everything for you today.